You know, the best lies have some truth in them. But the truth was, I was trying to control. I was trying to look a certain way, be a certain way, be better. Hi, mamas. I am surrounded by Christmas cards in my room right now. I love making my own Christmas cards and um, I love just like staring at them and remembering the people that I love and care about. So they're like my November, December decorations and just like little love notes that are like, oh, like I love this person and they bring this joy into my life. Anyway, I have the house to myself right now which is very rare because there are six of us total <laughs> in this house. But there happens to be um, like a power outage thing. Some Something's going on that they need to sh cut the power at some point today. So everybody went into work. And uh, But so far, we've had electricity and Wi-Fi. And I have the place to myself, which is perfect timing. I know, shocker, um, because I have had something on my heart to share and talk about, and it is perfect timing, mamas, because it's the holidays. With the theme of the holidays, I happen to also be experiencing a very unique body image shift in my life right now. Um, and this is very different and new for me, but I have kind of made a deal with myself for this week out of my 29 years of existence, well, since self-consciousness around what, age six, um, to not suck in at all. My stomach like I, and I'm trusting that I'm not the only one because hello we're like socially programmed to hate our bodies um, men and women but especially women right like we're just marketed everything told that we're not beautiful defines like marketing defines sexiness for us rather than sexiness really just being fucking honesty and realness like <laughs> wow we're diving into the dirty talk immediately but like even in sex right it's like oh you can make the sounds you're supposed to make and arch your back in a certain way but it's like I think hotness is letting your eyes fucking cross if you're feeling great you know like that's sexy so anyway, that all stems from just being our true authentic selves and that also has to do with our tummies. I touched on this in the Trust Your Gut episode um, about like relaxing your stomach and having love for this special gut belly place. And I have not always been this way. Um, which I'm sure you're not shocked to know, being that I am a woman in this world. 
Um, But I did want to share with you my journey of unhealthiness in food. And it started with both of my parents, where it always begins. And I want to be really careful and mindful of what I share here um, because I do not want this to be a gossip sash. I don't want this to be a shit on my parents. They, I truly believe they did the best they could and given their upbringings, they did a lot better than was done to them. And I'm very passionate about this idea that we truly have so many resources for for self-help and love, like free too. Like, I mean, the Adult Chair podcast, she has some amazing episodes about holidays, triggers around the holidays, boundaries with family, mindful eating with food. Um, I'll, I'll put those in the description too if, if you're interested, but I mean, that was my free therapy. Like, fucking sign me up. You know, I had my meditation app, which sure, that was an upfront cost, but you can always do it for free on YouTube. Um, Like with Yoga with Adrian, like these tools are here for us to use that our parents didn't have. And they do now, but they're a little bit on the outskirts of it. It wasn't, you know, like integrated the same way it was for us. And anyway, so I want to have a compassionate stance for them because they had wounds to deal with that they didn't have the same opportunities to work through that I have had, that I kissed the ground, (laughs) that I have had the chance because it's completely changed my life from the inside out. But my unhealthy relationships with food began with both my parents. Like I said, they divorced when I was five. And I think it exacerbated both of their issues in some ways. Um, But my dad um, has always had disordered eating, which is fairly uncommon. Um, So I felt confused a lot of the time. And um, I mean, we grow up believing everything our parents say, right? And the, the funny thing is he was right about a lot of stuff. Like he's on the organic train and um, I, I mean, I'm all for that if you can afford it and I certain things are better organic than others. For I remember a naturopath taking that into consideration when she was talking about like what to buy and what not to buy. And she's like, if you have to buy things that aren't organic, buy things that you can take the skin off. Like if you're gonna eat the skin, make sure that's organic. But if you can peel the skin like a banana, it's not the end of the world though organic bananas just taste way fucking better and they cost like nothing extra but that's like an example so my dad had disordered eating um and his parents i mean my nana god lover is one of the most generous human beings on the planet she literally just hands money out if she can to to any of her grandkids that are around (laughs) um and but she came to canada with eight bucks in her pocket and three kids, right, from from Malta. So um, that had some effects. And she has had crippling anxiety to the point where we in the family can't really tell my nana anything 
um, overly traumatic or anything. Like she has no idea that my living situation has changed. Um, and I will not be telling her and I hate that. I hate not being honest and I always have to get like creative about how I talk (laughs) about things with my Nana and she also like doesn't pry because I think she does know that she's fragile. So she'll be like, you know, how's the, how's the farm? How's the new job? And I'll be like, it's so beautiful here, Nana. I mean, so it's like, oh, I'm trying to freaking teeter like I'm playing hopscotch having a conversation with her because I want to be honest but um anyway so I mean there was a lot of fear you know I'm projecting I'm filling in the pieces to what I know my dad's story is his own um and I don't know fully but I do it does make sense to me that you would use food as a sense of control in the fear of life, right? When you're when you're told that the entire world is terrifying, um, it makes sense that you would try and control it. And especially my dad, he loves his mom and loves other people so much that it makes sense that he would choose um, a an area that is more about imploding than exploding, right? So if we're destructive when it comes to food that typically is more of an implosion than an explosion. That being said, it does significantly affect other people, which is part of the insidiousness of an implosion method because we think it's only affecting us um, and yet it affects other people. And I'm one to talk because I've done both. Okay, so with this predisposition on my paternal side, Um, My maternal side was activating. So, um, especially when I was 16. Um, I mean, that's also a time that's ripe for body image issues. Um, But there was a traumatic event um, with my mom that really kind of triggered everything. Um, you know, unhealthy relationship dynamics and patterns came to light, came to a head um, when my mom started dating a guy who was abusive. And um, it was a tough time. It was it was a really tough time because, my sister and I didn't want him in the house, um, but they ended up getting married um, and then divorced all in one year. And um, after that, my mom was devastated and I was kind of left to pick up the pieces even though I was also devastated. Um, And so that caused some issues for me. Um, I was in a lot of pain and I didn't feel like I had the support to cope. My mom was always my biggest support um, and she was down and out, down for the count, baby. So, um, but then, you know, with friends and stuff, I had invested a lot of my social relationships within the church and the church 
failed me um, in during that time, as well as my my faith was shaken because um, my ex stepdad was religious, as was my mom. That was what bonded them in the first place, and there was a lot of prayers and stuff that were like, you know, we're we're doing the right thing and all this, and uh, it wasn't the right thing, and that really shook my belief. Um, in that, it's like, oh well, you can just use prayer and manipulate it and hear whatever answer you want and call it God, right? So I had some unlearning to do in my life when it comes to God, because God is love. You know, the rest of it is is nonsense. The re- I mean, you can have community, you can have conversation, you can have communication, and you can develop your relationship and your understanding in the presence of others. But anything that is judgmental, rulesy, manipulative, that's not God. That's That's not love. Um, And so I lost that community on top of the trauma that I was dealing with. And so I felt alone and isolated and like I said, unsupported. Um, And so one method I used to cope with that was um, unhealthy, an unhealthy relationship with food. And honestly, part of me consciously was punishing my mother. Um, Like I I wasn't secretive about the fact that I didn't want to eat. It was almost like a throwing it in her face. Like, look what you've done to me. I can devastate you too. But I felt like the, the obvious tactics were already taken, you know, so... And this is my mom's story, so I'm not sure how much I will keep in. Um, and she didn't have the supports around her. Uh, her family was in the States. And so um, my mom was going through a lot. And she would often say, you know, like, you girls are what gets me up in the morning. And um, things like that, which sound like love, but which are actually quite scary for a little girl to hear, um, especially when she gets mad or upset or um, anything like that, because you just subconsciously take that as like, oh, it's not just, you know, this fight, it's like your will to live. And that's just how I internalized it. Um, You know, so I felt like the suicidal threats were already taken. Um, and so being stuck, feeling stuck in that situation, um, my, my sister, um, and again, this is her story. I, this is the hard thing about a podcast because I want to share my story, but it's so fucking intertwined with the lives of other people and the deep, dark secrets that they carry that affected me. And so I have to be really careful about what I share and how much I share um, and delineate between what's my story and what's somebody else's. Um, But for the purpose of this, what I want to share with you is that I felt like depression and suicide were off the table for me. They were already taken. 
And so um, I had to get creative about the ways that I expressed my pain. And I was an imploder like my dad, uh, who thought I was doing the world a favor by just imploding on myself. And yet you wreak a whole other kind of havoc, um, which layers. Um, And so, you know, love addiction was an outpouring of that, an implosion that hurt other people without realizing it. Food, same thing. which it's a bit more complicated than that, but really you perpetuate society's um, expectations of what's beautiful and what's not. And, you know, every comparison you make is a judgment to somebody else, right? So I wanted to share with you a painful memory story um, that was kind of the darkest part of my relationship with food. And that was... Um, I I got home from high school one day and uh, was just feeling a lot of feelings. It was warm out and we had an above ground pool and I was just hungry from not really eating that day uh, and hurting. And I, wow, this is hard to share. (laughs) Um, I started doing belly flops in the pool and uh, I did like 10 in a row and uh, the impact after impact and just trying to stay underwater as long as I could Mamas, I'm getting emotional with you. Um, I came into my room after, got out of my wet bathing suit and just stared at myself in the mirror, my bright pink body. And this was, this was the low point. And my thoughts were just obsessed with food at that point. There was nothing else I was thinking about. I was either thinking about tricking myself into not being hungry or finding ways of not feeling hungry, calculating food, calories. Um, And I just remember looking at myself in the mirror and hearing this voice and this voice just said, just stop, just stop. And I just had the sense that there was a path to be chosen at that moment. And I could go deep into anorexia um, and that story, or I could forge a different path. And I just was like, you know what? Okay, I miss food and I'm just going to allow myself to eat what I want when I want. Heavy, heavy, heavy. But um, that was kind of the lowest point of me with my body image issues and my food issues. And it was a spiral to that point and it was a spiral out of that point. And, uh, you know, after that, 
there's highs and lows, right? I kind of was like, well, I can eat anything I want now. And then when I left home and went off to university, I could buy my own groceries. So then I started kind of finding a bit of a balance. Um, But then I went too hard into the dieting and went vegan, um, which love and respect all vegans. I mean, the way that animals treat it is completely unacceptable. I I even just found out like even on local ranches and stuff, this is graphic, warning, warning, um, but like male meat is spoiled by testosterone. So they castrate male cows and pigs without anesthesia. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like mamas, we're believing this society of what they think beauty is and this is what they fucking do like there's something very wrong very deeply insidiously wrong and we have to redefine what we consider beautiful what we consider true and right what we're told versus what we believe um this is like that mother bear energy coming out you know like the, the anger, the injustice of that, you know, and man, it sucks. There's a balance. I know I do better eating meat, just mentally, physically, emotionally. I do better with meat. I love the cartons, like the best and like fishing, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but, um, we have to decide what's true and what's right for us and for our bodies. And when I went off the deep end and did veganism, that wasn't right for my body, even though my intentions may have had some truth in them. You know, the best lies have some truth in them. But the truth was I was trying to control. I was trying to look a certain way, be a certain way, be better, you know, just a bit of a pretentiousness. Um, and I tried not to be, but these were the dynamics that went into it, you know? Um, and so when I kind of segued back out of veganism, I started dating Jack and, um, he was into weed and weed had just become legal in Canada. And I'm like, oh, like it's a plant, it's natural. It's better than alcohol. Cause I, I hate alcohol. I'll have it occasionally, you know, get a little get a little buzz every now and then, but like really twice a year is good for me. Um, so I was very, you know, interested in weed. And like I said, he grew it. So we got kind of into that. And, um, you know, at one point, I don't think I ever did it like daily. I don't think that was ever me. He definitely was, which mama's red flag. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and he tricked me too. Cause he was like, it's, it's like my anxiety medication. And like, I graduated in psych, right? I'm like, yeah, okay. Anxiety is a thing. Like, I know there are things you can do psychologically, biologically, physiologically, all of these things to help empower yourself. But Hey, better to take plant medicine that you've grown than drugs, right? With a whole bunch of chemicals and ingredients and whatever. I'm like, okay, you, you make a valid point, but the issue is not the anxiety, the issue is the lack of embracing the anxiety and the lack of 
acknowledging it, experiencing it mindfully. And I'm not saying go off your meds and face what you're facing, but I am saying if your pattern is to numb, then you're running from something. And we all numb in different ways. Mindfulness is a practice, it's a daily practice. Um, And so weed kind of became a confusing thing for me where I was like, well, what's really wrong with it, right? But what what was wrong with it for me was that I tended to overeat. So if we had, if we smoked weed before dinner, I would end up having like two dinners and dessert, right? And like big dinners. And I'm five foot five and a half, like I don't need the amount of food that a grown man would need, right? Um, But I was having that and more and dessert, um, totally fucking up my hormones. Sugar is another whole tangent we could go down. But, um, so so I, I swung to the other side of the pendulum, right? I went from restrictive anorexic and then vegan to binging. And I gained weight and I was no longer feeling like myself. And with Jack and my codependent jealous dynamic, it was kind of like encouraged. It was like, well, I don't want to dress cute anyways. Like I'll just wear my sweatpants, which makes me want to eat more, right? And it's like a spiral, a spiral. But the thing is, food is one way that we can cope with negative emotions, right? So many different ways we can do that with screens, we can do that with sex, drugs, relationships. I say love addiction, but really it's an attachment addiction because that's not love, right? Like fixing fixing your problems with a band-aid relationship, that's not love, that's attachment. And that'll fuck you up. But some addictions, are like better to just cut cold turkey, right? Like, mm, don't need heroin anymore in my life. Or like porn, you can cut porn, you don't need porn. Um, oh, what else? Like over, over shopping, right? These are things that we can take baby steps towards correcting permanently, but some addictions, right? Like food and um, love and relationships, these are integrated. We're, we're hardwired for love and intimacy, and of course, we need food to live. So it's not the substance itself that needs to change. It's our relationship with the substance that needs to change. So it started changing for me when I went away for a cottage weekend to his family's cottage, his aunt was there, and she lent me a book called The Life You Are Meant to Live by Dan Millman. And I don't know if y'all have heard of numerology, but that's kind of what it was about and like your life path numbers and stuff. And so um, if you want to calculate your life path number, there's like 45 different combinations that you can have. And of course, everybody is unique and da da da, but these are just lessons that we can take um, as a tool. If you're interested, I'll leave the book down below as well. Um, but I, I read it, you know, a, a while ago, and it's a big, thick book with a lot of information. So I'll just kind of like recap what I know. But the way you calculate your life path number is by adding up your birthday. 
So for me, I'm May 5th, 1993. So that's five plus five plus one plus nine plus nine plus three equals 32, right? And then, so those are your like supporting numbers. Those are, those are numbers that you'll have to overcome as well. But when you add them together, you get your life path number. So three plus two is five. So my life path number is five. There's that lucky number again. May 5th, five foot five and a half, so 0.5, and life path number five. So <laughs> I like fives. Um, they're like little signs for me that I'm on the right path. Anyway, so you're welcome to calculate yours and kind of like read along with me. There's nine life path numbers and then apparently there's like master life path numbers like 11, 22, and 33, which I know nothing about. This is just a very brief abridged version, but I will leave that book down below. And I'm sure there's tons of podcasts and stuff you can listen to if you're interested because basically your life path number is, we experience all nine of them and we, like, life is kind of a cycle throughout one through nine. And we can be in a cycle six, for example, even though my path is five, because your path is just kind of like your biggest hurdle. Like, there are things that you are predisposed to overcome if you want to live the life that you're meant to live type thing. So I'll just, like, go through them all and then talk about what my life path number meant for me. So the first one is creativity and confidence. And again, in a life cycle, this is the very beginning, right? This is the seedling. This is the new idea. This was my own mama for me. This is where, you know, your your mission is to create. And then the confidence piece is the evolved um, form of that creativity. Like if you have, if you want to put out creativity, but you're so crippled by self-consciousness and um, fear of critical reception or rejection, right? You'll stunt your own growth. So the mission to overcome and produce creatively is to develop confidence, right? And so for me, my confidence comes from believing and trusting that we're all the same that my vulnerabilities and my experiences are similar to yours, especially if you're here listening to this podcast, attracted and aligned here right now. I think we have a lot to learn from each other. And so that's where my confidence comes from. It's like, I don't think I'm more special than anyone. And that includes people I look up to and aspire to like Yoga with Adrian, Adrian Mischler, right? Uh, Glennon Doyle, Liz Gilbert, right? Like these women, Oprah, fucking Oprah, man. Like I tie my shoes every day the same way she does. And the, the difference between me and these people is that they kept showing up. And so I intend to do that as well. And that's a recipe for success. I don't care who you are. If you're doing something you love and you continue to show up, mark my words, you will be successful and it'll take time. Like, and you know, and this is, I, I'm not doing my own mama for success. I'm just sowing the seeds of love and creativity and seeing what blooms because it feels good to me to share. It feels like every time I'm editing a podcast, it happens to be completely resonating with what I wanted to hear, what I needed to hear in my life. It's like, 
like comforting myself, like giving myself some empowerment, some love, some nurturing, some support. And then, so I trust that it gives others that as well. And that's what gives me the confidence to show up. So I went into a tangent there. Maybe I'm on life path cycle one right now, (laughs) who knows? Um, But there's number two is cooperation and balance. So what I understand from that is it's kind of like you have to balance people pleasing tendencies and like self-care. Like you want to cooperate with people, but you have to take your needs into consideration and realize the reciprocal nature of that in that if you're taking care of your needs, you're automatically taking care of other people's needs because there's more of you to show up for others, right? So that's number two. Um, Number three is expression and sensitivity. So that to me, when I think of that, I visualize like your throat chakra and realizing that you have a voice to share um, or a method to express and you have to learn sensitivity in how you articulate that and how it is received. It's like expressing yourself verbally or through whatever medium you are and then balancing the sensitivity of that, of how you come across to people. Um, It's a whole chapter, okay? I'm rusty, but you can, you can dive real deep into all of these. Number four is stability and process. And I respect the shit out of these people. I can like sometimes look at people and be like, oh, you're a four, <laughs> which sounds insane. But um, just like the stability and process is like those people that are diligent, they're builders, they take steps, baby steps every day, and they will like put their head down and just get shit done. And it doesn't matter about the glory. It doesn't matter about the thrill or anything. It's just there's a satisfaction in accomplishing something, something small. And it's an internal accomplishment. So stability and process is the challenge there is also to show up and to do the mundane menial work that is required in order for something to bloom. So um, I love, love me some number fours and I have to work on this in my life. I also think of this as like the love languages. I think of like acts of service, somebody that does the behind the scenes. It's not for the glory. It's not for anything other than the satisfaction of, of doing a good job and doing a thorough job, taking those extra steps to do something thoroughly. I think of building a house and making sure you you're leveling everything. Everything is prim proper because you're building something for, you're building the foundation for something. Um, Number five, mamas, my power number, freedom and discipline. And this is what woke me out of my eating dysfunctions. I kind of like wrote this down as I was reading this chapter was Discipline protects the joy of freedom. And it goes into the difference between indulgence and freedom, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm free to eat whatever I want, or I indulged and now I feel like shit, and now I don't have energy, um, and now I, d- I have less to give for myself and for others, right? So it's like, are you really free with indulgence, or are you a slave to your own cravings and your own? 
debilitations that you've now caused for yourself, right? So there is that dynamic when um, you think of freedom and discipline, you know, indulgence is kind of the opposite of freedom and the opposite of discipline. And so overcoming that is, is key for number fives. So, and I want to say too, when people talk about discipline and this like discipline mentality and everything, to me, it's not a workhorse mentality. It's not like a got to get up at five in the morning and gym every day, discipline. Like it's, it's sticking to something to the best of your ability and something small, you know, like for me. So when I started, I read this book and got really into it in July of last year. So it's been a year and a half. And my discipline was meditating and my morning routine in general. Um, And I haven't been perfect and I haven't always stuck to the script. Like I say, there are tools in my toolbox, but every day I have been mindful of incorporating something into my self-care routine. And that has been my discipline. So it's not like, you know, work, you know, eight to five every day, working overtime, discipline. It's like, no, like I'm saying I'm going to do something and I'm sticking to it in a small way. And that can be discipline. So next is vision and acceptance number six. And this is a lot to do with perfectionism. Basically, it's like um, seeing your goal and then accepting that it's not going to be perfect and being okay with that. And like lots of perfectionists in number six. Um, but the funny thing is, is you tend to judge, be a judge, more judgmental person if you're perfectionistic because you're judging yourself. And so therefore you're comparing and therefore you're judging to others. So what's important is to do your best still, but not procrastinate with, with perfectionism and not judge yourself or others when it comes to a perfect standard, right? Number seven is trust and openness, which I don't know. I don't really remember this one, but from what I, what makes sense to me would be trusting yourself and others and allowing openness and like trusting that, that you can care for yourself and that things will all work out. Could be totally off on that one. Number sevens, you're on your own. You're just going to have to look this one up for yourself. Number eight is abundance and power. And um, again, I don't know much about this, but I do know when I have been in a number eight cycle in my life and it feels fucking good. You're like, you're reaping the rewards of what the work that you've put in, you know, you've gone through your processes and uh, you don't want the power get to your head. Ideally, there's a humility and a gratitude um, that has to come here. Abundance comes from gratitude. So that's the key there. It's not a bunch of money. It's not a bunch of beauty or whatever materialistic thing you can earn abundantly. Abundance is an internal state and it comes from gratitude and joy. And then last but not least, well, second last actually, number nine is integrity and wisdom. And um, this one I also don't know. So number nines, have fun. Have fun with that one. But it sounds fascinating. I wish I knew more, but I don't have the book with me in Texas and nothing online is really coming up, which makes sense because you have to buy the book, right? Um, but a great resource 
a great resource if you're interested. Zero is the is the final one, and that one is basically like a strength one, where um, whatever your number is, say I, say my number is fifty, and so my life path number is five. Basically, that's just a really strong five. So, like I said, five for me, it started awakening me up to this idea of indulgence versus freedom and how me giving myself whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, was actually not serving me or serving others. It was actually debilitating me. So there's a balance between incorporating discipline into what you put in your body, in your mind, in your heart, and what you allow, right? And what you don't. So... That started, like I said, a discipline for me with baby steps in my morning routine, which gave me the foundation for love that I needed in order to take my health into my own hands. And so when Jack and I broke up in April, <laughs> can you tell this was a significant life moment for me? I, <laughs> that's like the fissure in my life. One of. Um, when we broke up, I knew I needed to take my health into my own hands. And part of that was shifting into a more mindful relationship with food and my body. And so, you know, I I got laser eye surgery because I'm like, this is a self-care. This is an investment in me that's going to benefit my life. And I was surrounded by trails and water and I didn't want glasses and contacts for these kinds of activities. Um, and it was just, it was a self-care investment for myself. So I got laser eye surgery and then I followed up into naturopath and, um, I, like I said, I had the self-love to incorporate, to be able to incorporate a food log. Now, in my anorexic days, I also had a food log, and it looked very different than my log that I kept over the course of the summer to be in tune with my body, um, and it was an act of love, this food log. This food log was, Jazz, how are you feeling when you eat this? Like, emotionally, physically, bloating, did you have a bowel movement, TMI, but whatever, it's part of life. Um, All these different factors, like what I ate, did I eat too much, did I not eat enough? And you can see how this could be unhealthy if you're in 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 an unhealthy mind frame. And to me, I was coming from a place of love because I was like, I'm going through enough right now in my life, enough pain and suffering that I don't want food and hormone issues to be affecting me in any way. It's like, if I can optimize my food intake and lower my cortisol, heighten my serotonin, heighten my melatonin so I can sleep better, all of these things, I'm gonna do myself any favor that I can, but I have no idea my relationship with food, so I wanna get curious. And so that was the healthy intention behind it. And I'm not saying start a food log today because you might not be ready for it. As a woman in this society, it's not fucking easy to stay level-headed and straight in that process and not get you know, discouraged, comparing, judging, Um, That being said, on my journey into mindfulness with eating, 
I slowly but surely started losing weight and feeling lighter and feeling more energetic and finding clothes that suited me more and I felt expressed me more. Um, and also I've said the word mindfulness a few times and we, a few, I've said the word mindfulness many a times in this podcast and a lot of people don't actually know what that is and I didn't know what that was. It sounded like bullshit to me. Literally everybody who ever gets into mindfulness says, it sounded like bogus. (laughs) Um, Because really, it starts with breathing, which everyone's like, of course I know how to breathe. No, 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 like tell me something else I can work on. Um, But no, breathing is foundational to being aware because your, your breath is your spirit, right? If you're breathing shallow, your spirit is telling you something. Something's wrong. And we don't want to listen to that because that's a cause for change, a cause for action. It's the negative side. Um, But negativity is not bad and positivity is not good, right? So happiness is not always good because who knows, maybe you're indulging. Maybe you're happily eating a pizza that you are going to feel shitty about tomorrow, right? Or maybe you are sad that you're going through a heartbreak and so you don't go out on dating apps, and that, right? So you can see how the negative can be positive and the positive can be negative, but they're both needed in the circle, right? And negative is just information for you. So when we get in tune with our breathing and our breath, and we actually listen and embrace the discomfort, because you will feel uncomfortable, like, and that's a euphemism. It'll feel like you're going to die sometimes. You know, I had mindful moments of sobbing, in the trailer um, and being there with myself for those moments in the moment helped alleviate my suffering and heal me on my grief journey. So these negative emotions are trying to serve you and help you. And so mindfulness when it comes to food or any activity, love, relationships, um, fatigue, when you're, when you're checking in with your body you're honoring her. And there are gifts from that, long-term gifts. And as much as it sucks to get down and dirty and to listen to the uncomfortable, you are serving yourself and therefore others from that. So I don't keep a food log anymore because I feel like I've just kind of gotten into the habit of checking in. Like, how do I feel? Am I hungry? can I eat this meal without distraction or am I feeling lonely? Do I want to eat with somebody else? Do I want to talk with somebody else? Usually not, by the way. I like eating on my own. Do I want to put on a YouTube video um, for like company while I'm eating without actually having to talk? Um, And understanding that you'll probably eat more if you do that. Keep that in mind. You know, maybe put less on your plate, eat a little slower, wait five minutes for when you're done, and then have some more, right? So there's tons of little tactics you can use, especially in the holidays. Um, if if you're still going to any holiday celebrations, New Year's is around the corner. But and just in general in life, especially when we're around family, old patterns and old triggers come up, and food is often a coping mechanism that we've used, either food or lack of food, some sort of relationship with food, right? It's inevitable, especially as women. So just being honest with that, being real, and how that circles back into me not sucking in my stomach 
because I can feel my breath more. I can feel my spirit where I'm at. I can feel my body where I'm at. Have I overeaten? Or am I sucking in the mirror and tricking myself into thinking, oh, it's fine. No, let's be honest. Let's be real. Check in with your body, check in with your breath, check in with your spirit. And like I say, if it's negative feedback, okay, we listen to that, we'll nurture, adapt, take a little baby step, do something a little different. What What is that for you? Like, what would that baby step be for you? Um, like, could it literally just be letting go of your stomach right now and putting your hand on your belly and saying, thank you, I love you, I'm listening to you. Because our guts are fucking powerful mamas. Like, a woman who listens to her gut will change the world, you know, in some small way. And I say my own mamas because this is an opportunity to care for yourself like you're your own mama who loves you. Like, another, this is so meta, I have so many ways of looking at this, but... Another thing with my belly that I've been into this week, I was meditating the other day and I put my hands on my belly out of love um, and let the bloat just be and was breathing and I felt a heartbeat. And I don't know if you know that you can feel your heartbeat in your belly, mamas, Um, but how special is that? And I felt like I had this invisible like baby in me and I'm like, I need to care for myself in order to care for this baby that will be, you know? And even if this baby never is, I'm still doing good and birthing something else, loving for something else, right? And we know what it's like when our mamas didn't heal their wounds, you know, and they didn't have the same opportunities as us. But we know how that feels and it fucking hurts and it fucking sucks. And this is real talk with you mamas because I want us to love ourselves the way that a mother would. The way that a loving, eternal mother would. And that starts in our beautiful bellies, our beautiful stomachs that we suck in and we judge and we label. And it's not true and it's not right. And maybe we're not the ones that are wrong, but the world is. And that is a hard reality to accept. It's easier to deny our own experiences, isn't it? Which is what we did as kids. It's easier to feel like we're crazy, gaslight ourselves, than to understand that, oh, this is fucked up. And we can't really do anything because we're kids. Right, So a lot of the journey of healing in adulthood is unlearning because that is the coping mechanism that we use, right? Um, And so unlearning as a woman, this is one area that we can unlearn what it means to be sexy, what it means to be beautiful because beauty is on the inside, mamas. How much love can you give yourself? How much love can you give other people? And where can that start for you today? Could it be letting your tummy go and saying, I love you? Could it be finishing your food on your plate and waiting five minutes before you allow yourself some more? Employing discipline 
instead of indulgence in one small baby step way. Mamas and babies, this is the theme. Loving ourselves and taking one baby step towards that. So it's a tough time, the holidays. There are triggers, food, every sort of indulgence we can possibly get into. Um, And yet we can be our own mamas and love ourselves however we need, whatever that looks like, and trust that that is a gift not only for ourselves, but for others and for our future babies, for our babies, if we already have babies, for the world. So I will just leave you off with this beautiful adage. I believe it was from Pema Chodron um, and also Rebecca Campbell. It's kind of a mishmash of various icons to me. Um, But the message, the takeaway message that I have is the divine feminine is abundant and she does not take more than she needs. She trusts there is always more. She honors her body as the temple it is. No matter what that looks like, mamas. Do you need love? Do you need extra food, extra fat, extra sour cream, full fat butter? What, like, what do you need? Or do you need to just wait? Just wait a little bit after you're done eating and see how you feel and listen. Listen in love. So this is a topic that I have been very passionate about in my life and it seems to be perfect timing to talk about it in that it's the holidays. I have just relaxed my bloating even though it's period week and I'm extra bloated, mamas. It's fine. It's good. We love ourselves, okay? We adjust. We adapt. We overeat. Fine. That's cool. Just notice it. Love yourself. Move on. So, my loves... Thank you for being here with me. I always freak out at the ends because it just feels surreal that you are here spending your precious, invaluable time and energy with me and hopefully refueling yourself in some small way, Um, giving yourself some love. You know, you're taking the time for you and that is the most important part. I hope something has resonated with you. and just one, what's one baby step you can do, mamas, to love yourself when it comes to your body, your temple that God has given you. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I love you. I will talk to you next week. And until then, take care. Bye.